This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Next up, The Hill with Blake Berman. Well, hello there, and welcome to Washington as this town tries to figure out what is next. Republicans just officially killed the border deal as questions still linger about aid to Israel and Ukraine. Coming up, we are live in the halls of the Congress with where things could potentially go from here. Plus, one of Donald Trump's former White House attorneys joins us ahead of tomorrow's showdown in the Supreme Court. And Chris Steyerwalt breaks down what you need to know about our elections and artificial intelligence. Thanks for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by the aforementioned Chris Steyerwalt. News Nation political editor and senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Julia Manchester, of course, the national political reporter for The Hill and host of Hill TV's What's America Thinking? That right there is Max Rose, the former congressman from the state of New York. And Hogan Gidley, former Trump White House deputy press secretary. Thanks for being with us. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. All right, come on in. Thanks for being with us here on the Hill right off the top. We are just 38 days into this election year, and look at what has happened already. Donald Trump won the first contest in the Republican primary by 30 points, the second by 11. In the days following, he then demanded that Republicans kill a border deal. This afternoon, that officially happened here in Washington. Now, these are the four Senate Republicans who actually voted for the bill. Mitt Romney who has shared his displeasure with Donald Trump, two moderates, and the bill's architect, Republican James Langford, who took to the Senate floor and said all of this reeked of presidential politics. I had a popular commentator four weeks ago that I talked to that told me flat out, you try to move a bill that solves the border crisis during this presidential year, I will do whatever I can to destroy you. Now, that was uh, Langford earlier today, obviously. Consider also what has happened since then. Uh, Donald Trump, of course, winning Iowa and New Hampshire. There is talk here in Washington about Mitch McConnell, whether or not he is fit to be the representative in the Senate to lead Republicans. And we have also learned that Ronna McDaniel, the head of the RNC, could potentially be leaving her post after the South Carolina primary. Now, that would allow Trump to potentially shape the RNC. Hello to you all. Uh, so here in Washington, Republicans try to figure out what's next. And as they, as they navigate this, Chris, the rest of you all, um, is this the party of Trump and does everything here in Washington need to be viewed in that lens, essentially like James Langford alluded to? You left out uh, the part about the, an appellate court uh, throwing out Donald Trump's uh, effort to claim blanket immunity for what he did uh, when he was in, in office and maybe even out of office. Um, what I've most been struck by this week is it's chaos again, right? Mm. We're back to. Yeah. So, so Trump really benefits when the story is about Joe Biden. Joe Biden's unpopular. 
Uh, I don't know whether you know this, but he is not young. Um, and so Trump really benefits from the stories about Biden. And as Trump has gone and locked up the nomination, moves closer to locking up the nomination, and we're back to, and I'd forgotten about weeks like this where you're like, oh my gosh, like, oh, and then this happened, and then that blew up, and then that went over there. Whereas for Trump, if he, if he could teleport to another dimension for the next eight months, he would win the presidency again. But he, being around, creates havoc, does all the stuff for Republicans, and it's, it, this is what they're going to have to manage. We should note, of course, Nikki Haley is still in the presidential race, so it's not officially the party of Trump yet. But it's, it sure feels like everything right now is viewed under that umbrella, does it not? Oh, definitely. And in addition to all of this happening, you have RNC chair Ronna McDaniel yeah. stepping down in the coming months. I would imagine someone more within Trump's wing of the party will step in. But you bring up a good point with Nikki Haley, because I think there's been a lot of questions. Why is she still in the race if she's trailing Trump by some, by some average by 30 points in South Carolina? Well, I think her campaign today and a little last night was really messaging Look at the chaos sown by Donald Trump. Now, whether that's enough to get her in the Republican Party, I don't know. Okay. But maybe something down I'm, the line. I'm going to get to you in a second on President Biden and what he's saying about all this. But defend the chaos, Hogan. You mean the chaos at the border? The chaos in the Middle East? Okay, or so you mean the defense. chaos in Israel? What chaos are you talking about? Because the Biden administration clearly has put in policies that have allowed this country to devolve into a, a hellscape, not just along the border, but in our major cities as well. The refusal to follow laws, the refusal to enforce laws. This is the chaos that the, the campaign needs to be talking about. But let's make no mistake about it. Chris is exactly right. What you want is a referendum on your opponent, not on yourself. And if you make this about Joe Biden and the unpopular policies, and the ones that have hurt Americans from top to bottom, he's going to walk in this election. I felt like for a second we were back on the North Lawn there. <laughs> back in my face. Former Congressman, uh, President Biden, this was sort of the argument that, that he was making. Watch, and I'll get you to respond on the other side. The process is messy sometimes, but the job will be done. And we're going to govern this country. It's the greatest country in the history of the world. The entire world is counting upon us. We have steady hands at the wheel. We'll get through it. If the bill fails, I want to be absolutely clear about something. The American people are going to know why it failed. I'll be taking this issue to the country, and the voters are going to know. All right. That, of course, was President Biden. He says he's going to be taking this issue to the country, the border, and and make that argument. Is that the way to go for him? Well, certainly this was a win-win situation for the president and Democratic Party in many ways, either legislation, meaningful legislation passed to advance this issue, or the Republican Party showed themselves to be obstructionists who don't put the country first. What's interesting, though, is I've heard plenty of conversation lately that, oh, this is the way politics goes. Democrats didn't necessarily do this to Donald Trump. Donald Trump, when he ran in 2016, said that uh, addressing the issues of trade was, in fact, his number one political issue. In December of 2019, the Democrats resoundingly supported a revised NAFTA legislation that was his one of the president's, President Trump's signature legislative achievements. Of course, during COVID, the Democrats rallied behind plenty of bipartisan and bold issues that President Trump uh, champion. So it, it's disappointing that the Republican Party is putting partisan politics out of the country. Oh, Hogan, if, if Biden is going to run on this... What, what, what can you expect the response from Donald Trump to be? On the border? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it wasn't a win-win. It was a lose-lose. Because the fact of the matter is, this is all Joe Biden. He looks around as if these things are happening to him. 
but they're happening because of him. In large part, the American people were never going to buy this because the media and the left pushed against Donald Trump's border policies as being inhumane, too tough, wrong for the country, all the things they said. And Biden came in and bragged about doing everything the opposite. And the media came right along beside him and said, yes, look at how much better it is on the border now with Joe Biden. The numbers spiked, the fentanyl spiked, human trafficking, child smuggling, all at record high numbers, millions of people pouring into this country illegally. And Joe Biden looks around like, no, this is the, the, the Republicans' fault. For the last three years, he said there was no crisis at the border. Now he says there is one. And by the way, it's the well, Republican Republicans say Trump's that there's fault. a crisis and you can say you're doing nothing about it by voting this down. This was you're done looking. by the executive branch. And Biden is looking around for the congressional side of this to fix it. That is absolutely I, foolish. I want to go to Ron Johnson real quick, but you would say what? Well, I, I don't understand then what Senator Lankford was saying all, all the while. No one I don't understand ever, what Senator Lankford no, was saying either. No, no, no. One, no one would ever claim for him to be a liberal. He is one of the staunchest conservatives. Sure. And in fact, the leaders of the Republican Party said, we will get behind Ukraine, we'll get behind Israel if you legislatively address the border crisis. Okay. And then once the Democrats do so in a bipartisan manner... Uh, the Republicans he, turn into fully on the said it solved, He said it solved, the, he said it solved the crisis and it doesn't solve any of the problems we Hold face right Hold that thought, now. Chris, for one second. I want to bring in the Republican senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson, member of the Homeland Security Committee. Senator, thanks for being back here on the Hill on News Nation. Once again, appreciate the time as always. Um, when you look at the at the Republican Party right now, Senator, you have a border bill that was negotiated by James Langford over four or five months go down. Kevin McCarthy last year was booted out in the House. Republicans couldn't govern in the House for a couple weeks. Mike Johnson uh, couldn't get Alejandro Mayorkas impeached just yesterday. What does it say about the ability right now of Republicans in this town to govern or the lack thereof? Well, first of all, let's talk about some basics about border security. The Supreme Court has ruled that existing law exudes deference to the president when it comes to securing the border. President Trump use that executive authority against a great deal of resistance from liberal groups that challenged every one of his actions, and he secured the border using current legal authority. President Biden used that same presidential deference, and he opened up the border. So the fact of the matter is, the laws exist for President Biden to secure the border. What we were talking about in terms of tying Ukraine funding to forcing this president to use that executive authority. I wasn't looking for some massive bill that basically codified his open borders that normalized thousands of illegal immigrants a day that would hamper a future president who wanted to secure the border in the future. But isn't it your responsibility and the members of Congress that would that would yes. No, no, it's actually the president's responsibility. We were trying to force this president to use the authority that the Supreme Court said exists to actually secure the border. The problem we had in the negotiations, and this is where I completely disagree with Mitch McConnell, secret negotiations with people that want an open border that caused this problem. That was never going to work. What we are trying to do is force President Biden to use the executive authority he has that he used to open up the border to close it. It's that simple. McConnell totally screwed this up. Again, it's, it's not... He has the authority, and that's what we need to point out. So should Mitch McConnell be the top Republican in the United States Senate, or should he step aside from that leadership role? Well, I was one of the leaders, challenged him 
challenging him at the start of this Congress, uh, there will be another challenge the next time we vote for leadership. When? When the conference decides it's time to do it. Certainly we'll have another election prior to the next Congress. Do you, do you think it's before. possible that we could see in the Senate what we saw in the House, uh, a, a revolt against the, the leader? Well, right now I want as many of my colleagues to understand and analyze exactly how did we take an issue that the vast majority of the American public you know, agrees with Republicans and walk ourselves into a box canyon where now Joe Biden's blaming us for the open border that he caused. Okay. I mean, that does, you, know, you got to really scratch your head and go, what, what political genius uh, allowed that to happen? Well, that was the political genius called Mitch McConnell. Okay, um, last question for you, Senator. The $60 billion to Ukraine, $17 billion to Israel is outstanding, and there's conversations right now here in Washington about whether or not those two could move forward in a deal together, should it? Well, again, the whole point of us entering negotiations, which we should have done in the public, not secretly, was to use Ukraine funding that President Biden wants and force him to secure the border. We should still do that. Top priority should be to secure Americans' border because it is a clear and present danger. That's what our, uh, I think the American people expect, that we secure our border before we spend $60 billion that we don't have helping Ukraine secure theirs. It's a pretty basic premise. Senator, we got to leave it there. I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon. Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, thanks for being here on The Hill. Have a good night. You too. That did not sound promising for the future of Mitch McConnell. <laughs> well, Mitch, Mitch McConnell, uh, this, this is the end of the, the road probably for Mitch McConnell one way or the other, right? He's had health episodes. He's uh, sure. uh, uh, quite, uh, uh, he, he, he is no spring chicken. Um, the, the, the sad thing for Senate Republicans uh, is they had, it's a Lucy in the football, we see it over and over again, where people say, I want to do my job. I want to be good at this. I want to do something constructive, and I want to take my time here in Washington and do something good with it. And uh, then they try. And guess what happens? They say, no, 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 it's an election year, dummy. We're not supposed to do our jobs in an election year. Are you kidding me? We're not supposed to try to legislate. We're not supposed to try to compromise and address the problems that the American people want us to address. You shut up and wait. And then after the next election, and that's a big problem that we have in both parties in this country, which is it's not enough for you to get what you want. You have to also hurt the other side. And a punitive, retributive kind of politics. Uh, Martin Luther King, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. And we have been blinded in Washington by the, the rancorous depths of this kind of idiotic partisanship. I want to ask you, Congressman, former state of New York, <laughs> what should President Biden do next? Because clearly there's, there's not going to be a deal. And you just heard from the Republican sure. senator say he's the president. He needs, it's on him. He needs to do something about it. What should President Biden do? Now, now it's time for politics. Is no. it, though, uh, on a policy what have we been front? Doing? Yeah. No, no, yeah. no, no. So my, no, my no. question's it, on, a, on a policy front. Like, what should he do? Because well, American people don't so care about the it, politics. It's clear. Well, the reason it's, why it's I'm saying now, now is the time for politics, because it's extraordinarily clear that even in a divided government, the president of the United States does not have a partner. He does, he does not have a partner that is willing to put the country first. And when it comes to a situation like that, it is absolutely imperative that every single American understands the very clear choice before them. And that is between patriots 
and those who put their own partisan imperatives ahead of the country. I, I was, 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 was going to move forward, but Hogan's Joe, giving me a Joe, death stare Joe, if he doesn't Joe, jump in here. Joe Biden was part of an administration that said, all I need is a pen and a cell phone. Well, is that out of ink? Is the cell phone dead? Did he be charged? Because this man has refused to follow what the Supreme Court said and said, I'm going to go ahead and uh, just loan debt. Doesn't matter what the courts say. So this one area... Even though the law is clear what he can and can't do with the border, this one area, he just has his hands tied. He can't do anything in this one position. It's the weirdest thing. Julia, wrap us up here. (laughs) You know, I think what Chris said really struck me about sort of the, you know, divide in Washington right now, the lack of productivity. What I'm concerned about is what we've seen in the House, I think we're going to see in the Senate. Well, that's what I was getting at there with with Ron Johnson was like, when? And and are we going to see the same sort of revolt? Right. And what I think, Chris, you've said this said this a few months ago when Mitch McConnell was having some of his health scares. What happens when McConnell is out? Who's going to lead? There's going to be so much jockeying. You're going to see the two factions fighting. It's scary. All right. Well, coming up still here from the Hill, the election, of course, in November, it's an election year. And all of a sudden there could be the role of A.I., is this even really me? Is this am I just is, am I, <laughs> is it, I Am I allowed to representation? <laughs> it is Chris. Chris Steyerwald. Who knows? We don't even know. <laughs> it could be anything. On the other side of the break, Steyerwald breaks down AI and what you need to know as it relates to the election coming up. Stay with us here on the Hill. It is Chris. Y'all, I'm not going to stand here and preach like I know a blooming thing about AI. <laughs> I am a. I do know that new technologies can have benefits, but if not used responsibly, they can be dangerous. That was the Alabama Governor Kay Ivey last night during her State of the State address. She went on to announce the creation of a task force to study how Alabama can properly use and prepare itself for artificial intelligence. I think she's probably like the rest of us. Like, what is this AI and (laughs) what does it mean for me? Uh, So what is it going to mean for our politics going forward? News Nation's Chris Steyerwall is here to break it all down. Well, I know I feel very confident if... Uh, <laughs> that's me again. It's, that's, uh, it's, that's not, that's not AI. It's very, it's, very, it's very disturbing. You're going to have to get used to that. Uh, uh, it's me again. Um, I, I know I feel very confident about what's going to happen with artificial intelligence. Once we have state legislatures on the job, I'm sure they're going to just sort out all these problems straight away. Uh, okay, listen to this. Look at this. Just in, we can now call the 2024 presidential race for Joe Biden. This morning, an emboldened China invades Taiwan. Kind of looks like the news, right? Kind of looks like the news, but it's not the news. That's an AI-generated ad uh, that Republicans used uh, against Joe Biden, uh, creating the idea of a, the Chinese invasion of Taiwan uh, if he is reelected. Um, so AI is freaky, and you can do stuff with AI that doesn't seem, uh, it seems like you shouldn't be able to do. Like, for example, this. Look at this. The New Hampshire attorney general says a fake Biden robocall before the election has been traced to a Texas firm, Republican firm down in Texas. Here's what voters in New Hampshire heard uh, on their phone. Listen to what uh, what they heard. Voting this Tuesday only enables the Republicans in their quest to elect Donald Trump again. Your vote makes a difference in November, not this Tuesday. 
This was a call that was intended to discourage people going out to vote for Nikki Haley, uh, uh, as many Democrats in or uh, Democratic leaning independents in New Hampshire did. They've traced it back. They're trying to crack down on it. Cracking down on the use of AI or the abuse of AI, we heard the governor of Alabama, uh, that's what they're doing in New Hampshire, but the companies are doing it themselves. Uh, here's what Meta, a uh, parent company of Instagram and Facebook, uh, is trying to do. They're going to watermark AI photos. So basically that means when something's AI, it's going to have a little disclaimer on it to say that it's AI for political content so that as we get into the election season, uh, you can use AI on their platforms, you can use AI-generated images on their platform, uh, but they're going to have to uh, have a little watermark on them. Okay, dangers. There are dangers, absolutely, with artificial intelligence. You can make fake stuff very easily. Uh, that call from the, uh, allegedly from the president sounds pretty close, uh, and all of that. And the worst people def, def, definitely uh, flood into the zone with new technologies. Uh, to use a rather indelicate uh, analogy, when the Internet uh, came to be, what was the first thing that we said? Oh, the Internet, this is going to be great. People are going to like learn, and kids will be able to look up uh, stuff for their school reports. Ah, porn. Okay, <laughs> right? So the worst, uh, when new technologies uh, come online, um, the worst people generally are the early adopters. The, the people who are, are up to no good are generally the first adopters, uh, whereas the rest of us aren't. But look at this. Look at this. AI turbocharges campaign fundraising. What else might artificial intelligence do? What else might artificial intelligence do? It might help other insurgents, not just rotten people, not just the worst. It could be a great equalizer in politics. One of the big barriers to entry for campaigns, for people who want to get into politics is you need big staff, you need big resources, you need big stuff to make professional-looking ads, to make professional-looking uh, campaigns. You, it's, it's hard, big barriers to entry. While it is true that AI has lowered the barriers for entry for mischief makers, and people are trying to crack down on that, we've got to get good at the other side. We've got to get people of good intent, patriotic good intent on the other side, who want to get into politics to use these things as a great leveler. I want you to look at this image that uh, the uh, intrepid Caleb made here. Now, there is a realistic-looking picture of Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King uh, meeting at the Martin Luther King Memorial. So take that as your inspiration. AI can... AI can be used for good things. It's not going away, so it's time for the good guys to get in the game on AI and start using it to good effects. Harumph. Steyerwalt breaks it down. So that, that story about turbocharging campaign fundraising, I saw that the other day. It was fascinating to me because we all get those political emails like donate $2 or $5 or $10, and it's annoying. Right. Right. It just gets in your inbox. Yeah. It's annoying. So I was like, that's interesting because... The AI does it better than the than the terrible people who who put those emails together. Not the terrible people; they're terrible emails. Many of but, them, are, some of some but, of them are terrible people. But what you're saying is lowering the. It can also help those who don't have necessarily all the resources to maybe level up. To make a less lurid analogy than the one about the pornography on the internet, um, when uh, in the days of yore, in knights in armor and uh, on on their steeds. 
to be a powerful nation, to be a powerful army, you had to have armor and you had to have big, strong, strapping people. And then gunpowder was the great equalizer, right? Because it made it possible that a person, regardless of their size, whatever, that uh, however big your suit of armor, this is an equalizer, right? And what we will continue to see, I understand all the threats from AI. I get it. I understand why KIV is concerned. I'm not, I'm not pretending those threats don't exist. But what will continue to happen around this country is that innovative people with good ideas who want to get into politics and want to get engaged are going to close the gap. They're going to catch up and they're going to learn how to use this stuff so that they can run better insurgent campaigns uh, for good purposes. What would you use it for? Any uses beyond fundraising emails? Look, this is so (laughs) shocking to me in a lot of ways. I I would just say it seems as though AI presents itself as anything else. There's good to it, and there's right. bad That's to it. That's right. Bad people yeah. will use it for bad things, and good people will use it for good things. And we are yet to see how far this goes or the extent of the good, the extent of the bad, uh, and, until uh, you know, years go by. I'll tell you something. Next time I run for office, I'm going to be 6'2 with hair. You know, I do have one anecdote, though, on a serious note about AI this campaign cycle. Earlier this year, the DeSantis campaign put out an ad, and one of the images was Trump hugging Fauci, and it was in a number of real images. Right. A lot of us in the media, including myself, voters, fell for that. And I think huh. that was one of the first yeah. times we really? had this hmm. debate of is this ethical? Okay. Smart. All right. So to come here on the Hill, Donald Trump's legal team is going to the Supreme Court tomorrow for a major case. May Mailman. May, you there? Hey, Blake. Hey, hey. Uh, May Mailman, on the other side of the break, you did an, an op-ed in the USA Today today. Is that right? I did. They, they published my Trump is not an insurrectionist piece. Okay, there you go. I guess a win for May Mailman. What May wrote and what we should expect to see tomorrow when The Hill on News Nation returns. All right, welcome back to The Hill here on News Nation. So the Supreme Court is set to hear arguments tomorrow on the Colorado ruling that barred Donald Trump from the ballot in that state. But there may be even something more important at stake, potentially. Friend of the show, Mae Mailman, has penned an op-ed in USA Today. In it, she claims that, quote, the Supreme Court must consider what's at stake, whether Trump is off the ballot matters. But the more profound question is whether the actions of an unruly mob are properly considered an insurrection. May Mailman, former attorney in the Trump White House. Hello, hello. Come on in. Uh, thanks for being with us once again. D- tell me what you mean there, and then also explain to me what uh, Donald Trump's attorneys are going to be doing tomorrow and what you think they're going to be arguing tomorrow. Yeah, so there's a thousand different legal arguments before the Supreme Court. I really don't know how they're going to sort it all out. It's going to take hours and hours if anybody tunes in to listen. I doubt they make it through the full thing. Um, and My piece really goes to, I think, the most important question, but the one that the Supreme Court is almost certainly going to dodge, which is, is Trump an insurrectionist or are the actions in January 6th, should they be considered an insurrection? And this, you know, an insurrection definitely qualifies uh, to things like the Civil War. In fact, just the Civil War is what the legislators had in mind. 
But does it does it count for less than that? And my concern is if you say that January 6th counts as an insurrection, then you lower the standard for insurrection across the board. And that puts us all at risk because the president can do things like release the armed forces to put down an insurrection. That basically means that anything that can be considered an unruly mob, all of a sudden you've got, you know, the military on you, things like that. Why isn't Donald Trump going? You were you were an attorney in his White House. I, I would think you've got a pretty decent insight or, or mindset to it. He's been to a lot of his legal cases. Why isn't he going to the Supreme Court, in your view? Maybe his attorneys talked him out of it. You know, I, I don't think that him going <laughs> would be helpful because I think okay. that this case can be 9-0. It really doesn't have to be political. They can decide it on such things as the 14th Amendment is not self-executing, something so legal and, you know, perplexing to the American public that it, it doesn't need to involve January 6th at all. But if Trump is there, it makes everything about January 6th. All right, man, just in our inbox here, uh, and I'm quoting the Associated Press, the Justice Department special counsel investigating President Joe Biden's handling of classified documents has completed his inquiry and a report is expected to be made public soon. Merrick Garland, the attorney general, told lawmakers in a letter earlier today. What do you make of it? And what do you think we're going to see, May? And when? So I bet we're going to see about seven words of it because they are going to black out everything that they consider privileged, um, anything that is sensitive, anything that Merrick Garland, for any reason, you know, says that the public can't see. And of course, there will be a fight over that. But what I bet the report ultimately has, because there's been some reporting in this, is a lot of embarrassing details and a lot of carelessness, but ultimately no recommended charges. But that is the key thing. Embarrassing lack of attention to how you store classified documents, I think, is extremely bad for President Biden if he wants to make any sort of big deal about Trump's classified documents. All right, May Melman, stick around for a second. Do you think they're getting this out so that they could go forward with Donald Trump's cases elsewhere? Yeah, well, I, this is like the one first thing, next thing. There was a, there was a ton of housekeeping that had to be done. Mike Pence had to go like they uh, so they're going through and cleaning up because if you're going to make a big deal out of one former president's or one right. former office holder's documents, you got to make sure they said, no, we've checked everybody else and we did all that because you don't want it to come out. OK, all right. Meantime, Bud Light. Is it getting a form of a post-presidential pardon, I guess you could say? Have you seen this? Donald Trump weighing in on the conservative feud with Anheuser-Busch, seemingly offering an olive branch to the company. Now, in a truth social post, the former president saying, quote, Anheuser-Busch is a great American brand that perhaps deserves a second chance. Now, two things to note here. Show the graph. Budweiser, the second, I mean the second that Donald Trump put this out there, its stock price <laughs> spiked. It's up four and a half percent from sixty-two eighty to sixty-five fifty-three in the last day over this. That, by the way, is like a four or five billion dollar move on Bud Light's stock price. That, so that's one thing, Hogan. The second Politico headline: "Quote Trump on eve of fundraiser with Anheuser Busch lobbyist defends company." What's going on here? The bigger issue here is. <laughs> The fact that Bud Light was my go-to. Remember, and remember I, had, I told you a lot of this felt and, like that this was me on the North shun, Lawn with Hogan again. Uh, Keep going. Then I had to shun Bud Light and find a whole new beer to drink. And it was one of the dumbest moves they could have made because if it's Target and you're trying to boycott Target, that's tough because that may be the closest store 
uh, to your house or right. the only one in your town. You can just take one step to the left and get a different kind of beer, and Bud Light ruined it. And now Donald Trump throws him a lifeline. I, I don't know. You don't can't. Know you can't do. even defend him on this. I, no. I, I, I'm not. No. I mean, whatever he wants. If he wants to give him another chance, give him another chance. It's, it's money. It's, it's money. It's money. money for shareholders for like four or five billion dollars. All right. Uh, meantime, over to the campaign trail where it was a less than stellar performance for Nikki Haley, you could say, in Nevada last night. Oof. It was the, the Republican primary. Now, here's how this all works. The former governor Good actually yeah, try to explain yeah, yeah. this one. Do you Good want to? Like, I'm not sure. It's hard, but here we go. So on your screen, Nikki Haley, 30 percent. None of these candidates... She got doubled up by the person in the silhouette. Now, if you're asking how on earth did this happen, they actually have the caucus uh, later this week, right? And and that's what really matters with the delegates. But for Nikki Haley, that full screen, that image right there is Baru Tull. The uh, Nevada Republican Party is uh, Yucca Mountain uh, level radioactive disaster, right? So it's uh, a... They have a primary in their state, but the state party did not want to have a primary because they, they're super MAGA. They're like 10 million uh, MAGA techs. <laughs> they're all the way in. They didn't want to have a primary because they didn't want any trouble for Trump. They wanted a, a caucus that they could deliver the goods. And so they said, if you participate in the primary, you can't be in the caucus. And so Trump is in the caucus, but not the primary. Haley is in the primary, not the caucus. But here's the secret, and you alluded to it. That primary is worthless. Right. Uh, even if Nikki Haley is the top human vote-getter, uh, who, is not a, who is not a shadow figure, uh, there are no delegates to be awarded. And the lesson for the uh, Nevada Republican Party is... That- Okay. They could have had a really good opportunity here with the Super Bowl coming up, and they had they had visions of massive fundraising and massive attention, but they split a, 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 a Nevada GOP divided against itself cannot stand. Here's here's real quick what Nikki Haley said. She said every Donald Trump, uh, even Donald Trump, knows that when you play penny uh, play penny slots, the House wins. Uh-huh. We didn't bother to play a game rigged for Trump. We are full steam ahead in South Carolina and beyond. I mean, look, she needs these delegates, and Donald Trump's going to get all the delegates in Nevada. Look, I think this is a negative headline for Haley. She needs more steam. You know, look, her coming out of Saturday Night Live, that fundraising haul from January, wasn't bad news, but it's not enough to propel her. May Mailman, last word. There are just not enough Democrats in Republican primaries to vote for Nikki Haley, so... (laughs) It's time to go home. Yes, May. Uh, By by the way, before May goes, do you think she makes it to South Carolina, Hogan? I still contend there is no way that she wants to lose her home state by 30 points. There's a difference between being embarrassed and being humiliated. Go on to lose your home state by 30 points, you're humiliated. You think she makes it there? He's the he's the expert. He's the guy oh, go with. Oh, okay. All I know right. is Don, Donald Trump. May, May, he's May, got May, plenty May, to go. I just don't think she's going to go. May, thanks so much. We'll talk to you talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Bye. All right, meantime, uh, coming up here on the Hill, I'm going to ask you about this, Rose. You ready? You ready for this? I'm ready. 50 Cent, his comments on migrants receiving money in New York City. Did you, you saw the headline? Yeah. He's, he's weighing in. No, is this, this good is, for your party? This is, is high-stakes stuff. High-stakes stuff. Right. 50 Cent, what he's saying after he talked to the mayor of New York City about credit cards being handed out to migrants in that city. And by the way, be sure to check out our weekly newsletter, Decision Desk 24. Our campaign view, you can subscribe with the QR code top right of your screen. Slice of our show in your inbox tomorrow. The Hill, back in a few.
Adams from New York City. 50 Cent now says he wants to talk to New York's governor, Kathy Hochul. It comes a day after the rapper suggested, quote, maybe Trump is the answer to solving that area's migrant crisis. Max, former congressman from the area, debit cards to migrants Mm -hmm. that the city is backing. Good idea? Probably not from a political standpoint, but when you are dealing with this large of a group of people that is looking to transition economically, socially, culturally, the whole nine, and you look at the bare nuts and bolts of how to run and govern a city, I can totally understand the justification for it. What the challenge is here, though, from the vantage point of one, what you're looking at with 50 Cent, demographically, the Democratic Party cannot treat African-Americans as if they are fully owned subsidiaries. And this is a case in point there. We've got to maintain that coalition. And that those types of comments and that type of cultural zeitgeist is obviously extraordinarily worrisome. What I would say, though, about Eric Adams, right? Yeah, what do you make of him? Oh, my God. Look, Eric Adams is a character through and through. He is in heaven that he's getting an opportunity to have a national conversation with 50 Cent and also note that he plays 50 Cent's music at every one of his birthdays. But what I would say— There's a a but here. there, there, There absolutely is a but. And that is that when it comes to New York City, when it comes to this migrant crisis, I do think that they are overblowing the degree to which this is representative of the demise of New York City, when in fact New York City has weathered storms. And it, when we look back on this five, ten years from now, I believe that this will be part and parcel of an economic revival in New York City. What do you City. mean by that? Well, for, you know, in the end, right, what New York City relies on is youth, dynamism, energy. And that comes from places that you could never predict, right? Does this, is this an immediate ec- economic hit? Absolutely. Is the, is the city deserving of support from the state and the federal government? Absolutely. But I, I think that New York City will continue to be strong and will grow even stronger. Okay. Julia? <laughs> no, I think it's certainly an interesting, I think, uh, you know, the, the debit cards to migrants and how um, Eric Adams is, or 50 Cent is responding to that whole thing. I think it's always interesting. I looked it up. Huh. 21 years ago, uh, did Get Rich or Die Trying uh, hit the Billboard Hot 100? Uh, Fitty. Huh. Your favorite. Fitty. Is it that long? I lo- it's a good album. Yeah, it is. Uh, Fitty really? is 48 years old. Huh. So we should not be surprised to learn that 48-year-old rich dudes are Republican-leaning, right? right. So okay. the, the, there's this like, oh, my gosh, can you believe this guy likes Trump? And you're like, yeah, I believe it. I, I totally oh believe it that 48-year-old rich guys uh, are into right. Republican so politics. Speaking of money, uh, McDonald's and people you, you can say are not loving it. Have you checked out their menu prices recently? Big Mac combo deals in some spots are costing 18 bucks what? a pop. Hash browns up to $6. What? The prices, yep, are driving away customers. Amid the backlash, McDonald's CEO says, quote, eating at home has become more affordable. The battleground is certainly with that lower income what? customer. What is that hash brown? $6 hash brown. What was that? That's, you got to start paying us. That's why I got to start paying you to come on the show. Yeah, right. come on. <laughs> Never heard of an $18 Big Mac. In, in, in only a handful of spots. I cannot believe you haven't said yet that's Bidenomics. Well, I mean, it's, it's ob- it's well, that's common. obvious, but I would imagine they'll be easy to pay for because Biden obviously is giving a lot of cash cards to people who aren't in this country legally so they can go buy all the $18 Big Macs they want. I don't frequent McDonald's. You may not know this about me, Blake. You're a gym it's, rat. We know I, this. I'm kind of not into the McDonald's thing. Yeah. But when you said it was in California, the 18 bucks, I was like, of course it is. 
I, I don't need to know anything else because I know $6 how that state's governed. Hash brown. Doesn't bother me. Hash brown. But who's, paying? who's where? I just I, that, in, a, in, a, in a handful of spots. in a handful in right. California. Yeah. Uh, same sort of shocks. Yeah, but Maybe it's the double. Is it the double Big Mac? Because they've added the double Big Mac. Hogan, you would not <laughs> oh, know this, but they've oh, added oh they've gosh. added the double Big Mac they have to the a menu. Strong, so get ready if you're ready to make it happen. So we're, strongest we're, performing economy oh in gosh. the world. And this guy's going to make it about Big Macs. That tells you exactly where the Republican Party is right now. That just tells you everything you need to know. You want to tell the folks where you had your birthday dinner at? Oh, I did eat the McRib. That is, that is true. I used to eat the McRib. Yeah. Starwall, Great. Starwall I did definitely celebrate. As I turned the same age as 50 Cent, I did definitely make the people uh, I love most in the world go to a McDonald's so and watch me eat a McRib. Part of the reason why we love Chris. All right. Uh, thank you all. Great to have you in. Fun time. The Hill Not Done, by the way. Uh, you may remember this story. Nine-year-old boy painted his face red and black and wore a headdress to a Kansas City Chiefs football game. That kid right there. But a media outlet accused him of racism. Well, now he's talking to Leland Vitter. And Leland joins us on the other side of the break. Stay with us. That was fun. Really enjoyed it. Special guest, Bill O'Reilly on Cuomo. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill O'Reilly. TV's liveliest, most honest debate. Wait, wait. Cuomo, you're... you talk the whole time. Tonight at 8, 7 central. News Nation has an opportunity. Only on News Nation. All right, so before we go here on the Hill, the family of a young Kansas City Chiefs fan is now speaking out. You might remember back in November, nine-year-old Holden Armenta painted his face black and red and wore a Native American headdress to a Kansas City Chiefs game. You see one picture there, the other image as well. Well, a Deadspin reporter wrote that Armenta, quote, found a way to hate black people and Native Americans at the same time. Armenta, by the way, who is nine years old, and his family are now speaking exclusively with On Balance host Leland Vitter. Watch. What did happen? Well, the whole internet started to call me Chiefs blackface racist. Yeah. Again, nine-year-old kid. Leland, you spoke to him uh, just a little while a little ago. Bit. What was your takeaway? A couple of things. One, that if Desmond had just done the right thing and said they were sorry and retracted it at the very beginning, this wouldn't have been a thing. Now they're suing. And the, the biggest takeaway is the Deadspin knew, because they saw the whole three-second CBS clip, that he wasn't wearing blackface. He was wearing red and right. black paint, as, that, as so many image. other people yeah. do. And they tried to make a political point with a nine-year-old kid, who, by the way, also happens to be Native American, hmm. that they said he hated. And they tried to make a political point with a nine-year-old kid. And there's some things that are just wrong. It's not left yeah. or right. It's not culture war. It's just right and wrong. You said it yourself. It would have been your kid. Oh, my gosh. You would have my, been. my kid, blood boiling. Um, his favorite Chiefs player is? Travis Kelsey. Uh, you got to stick okay. around if he cares about Taylor Swift. Oh, okay. We there did we ask. Well, you did ask. All we right. did ask. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.